to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, He loves endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Upon for me the gates of righteousness, uh, open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Hello. The second Bible reading is from Luke 24, 1-12. Um, I'm Alex, by the way. Starting at verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Well, good evening. Great to be with you. Christ is risen. Oh, great. Some of you got it. Let's try it again. Christ is risen. Fantastic. Great to have you here this evening. My name's Roger. I'm one of the ministers here. And it's great to be able to be thinking about the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to pray and then we're going to look at this passage together this evening. Father God, you are a good and gracious God. You're so kind towards us. And we thank you for these words from this passage this evening. We ask that you would speak to our hearts and minds, that you would transform us uh, so that we are like you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I had the privilege of teaching high school scripture 
over three decades. Now, I know I don't look that old, but, you know, over three decades I had this opportunity to speak to people in high school. One of the things I noticed in the 80s is when you talked about the resurrection, you had to talk about proving that Jesus existed. There's a whole lot of questions about whether the evidence was there for Jesus' existence and the evidence for Jesus coming back to life. Now, I think that's still around, but the truth is that kind of slipped away into the background. And when I finished teaching high school scripture in the 2000s, what was so interesting is people weren't that much interested in history. I don't think it was just because I was boring or something like that. They just weren't interested in history. What they were saying was, so what? It was like just another piece of information on the internet. You know how you click on those links and you go from one link to another and, oh, you're right, okay, oh, oh there's a cat video. Oh, you know, it's, it kind of just fitted into what everybody was thinking and looking at. And it was like, so what? What does it mean? Why does it affect us? Well, as we come to Luke's account of the resurrection today, I want to think about two answers to that question of so What? I think Luke's account invites us to place confidence in what God says. That's why it's important. In addition to that, I think Luke's account of the resurrection presents us with a vision of the future, an important vision of the future. Well, many of you will know that since before Christmas, we have been looking at the Gospel of Luke. At the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, We know that Luke has started out by examining all the events around Jesus. It's also seemed good to me, he writes, to carefully investigate everything from the first to write you an orderly account that you may know with certainty about the things that you have been instructed. Luke's determined to give an account of Jesus' life, of his death, and of his resurrection. Now, the account of the resurrection that we have here in Luke chapter 23 is embarrassingly honest and actually goes to support that project, that project of presenting the facts as they are. And the reason it's embarrassing is, firstly, the people who arrive at the tomb are women. In Jesus' day, women weren't allowed to testify about things. They weren't seen as good people to have as testifiers to various events. Now, that sounds shocking to us, isn't it? Terrible. But basically, if a woman said it happened, it wasn't believed. And so no one would really record women coming to the tomb if they want you to believe it. And so what we have here is Luke recording, I think, what actually took place. The second thing is that as we look at this passage, there are people who are doubting Jesus' resurrection left, right and centre. You just can't make this stuff up. Why would you record that? Surely if you were going to make this stuff up, you'd want everyone supporting what is happening, but that's not what takes place here. As we heard from the reading, what happens is a number of women come to Jesus' tomb. 
There's Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, Joanna, who we know is the wife of Herod's household manager, and then we hear that there are some other people. And we meet these women, and as we meet these women, they are coming with burial perfumes and lotions to the grave. Now, we know that Jews don't embalm people when they've died, and so the perfumes are to deal with the stench of death. On the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, Luke chapter 24 says, they came to the tomb bringing the spices that they had prepared. These women were coming to see Jesus, a dead Jesus. They were courageous women, because if you remember, Jesus had just died on a Roman cross and everyone had deserted him because of their fear of what the Romans would do. But these women come to visit with Jesus, to show compassion for his dead body, to be at his grave. They clearly are coming expecting Jesus to be dead. What happens is something that they're completely unprepared for. Verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in and they did not find the body of Jesus. All of a sudden, there's no need for spices, no stench of death, no decaying body. Jesus is not there. Now, it's not surprising that they're perplexed by this. You see there in verse 4, while, sorry, in verse 4, they were perplexed and they found two men standing before them. This perplexity continues later on in um, verse 9 when we realize that they go back to the 11, report what's taking place. The people who hear them, the 11 who hear them say, this is nonsense. Then Peter goes back a little bit later on. He has a look and he goes away amazed as well. This is a record of a whole lot of people doubting what's going on, perplexed as to what is actually taking place here. They fully expect Jesus to be dead and for them to be applying the spices to him. As the women arrive, there are two men who are standing there in white and they speak these words to Jesus. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He is not here, he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee, saying it is necessary for the Son of Man to be betrayed into the hands of sinful man, to be crucified and to rise on the third day? And they remembered his words. Now the men are just repeating words actually that Jesus has said earlier on. Earlier on in Luke chapter 9, verses 20, 20, verse 22, we hear Jesus speak these words. It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and raised on the third day. These men are just repeating what Jesus has said. But perhaps what's most interesting about what these men say 
is that they are rebuking the women. It's not kind of like, oh, you remember? You know, Jesus said something. It's, how come you don't remember? Jesus walked with you, talked with you, was with you all those years, and you don't remember what he said? He said to you that he would be betrayed. He said to you that he would die. He said that he would be crucified. He said that he would rise. How come you don't believe him? And of course, the woman's problem is our problem. As they come to the tomb, they expect Jesus to be dead and they don't quite believe what Jesus has said. I think we find ourselves in the same position sometimes. We hear Jesus' words, we hear what he says, we see what he does, we see the life that he lives, and yet we don't quite believe what he says. We don't quite accept what he says. People might remind us, but we're not so sure. And so what we see here is a remembering that's taking place, but a remembering that confronts us and challenges us to say, actually, this is true. Did Jesus say he would be betrayed? Did Jesus say he would be handed over to sinful men? Did Jesus say he would be crucified? Well, all those things are evident and are true. So Jesus saying that he would rise from the dead is also true. Now I know we struggle with doubts and questions and sometimes it's difficult to understand what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying to us. And sometimes we do find ourselves in the place of these women. But the truth, of the, the truth is that the resurrection testifies to God's commitment to his word to us. What he says he will do. What he says we can believe in. What he says we can live by. When he says, if you've done wrong, I can forgive you, he means it. When he says, if you want to know how to love, I can show you how to love, he means it. When he says, I know how to deal with guilt, let me carry that for you, it's true. Now maybe you struggle with this and maybe that's difficult. And so... The wonderful news is that Jesus has gone before us. You might remember Jesus just before this scene is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying before the Father. He knows what is coming and it's a genuine struggle. And he concludes with these words, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. It's a beautiful moment where Jesus goes before us and says, I trust the Father. I trust what he says. 
I trust in what he's doing. And so in Jesus, we too can learn to trust. We too can learn to entrust ourselves to the Father. So what? Well, the resurrection tells us that Jesus' words are true, that he can be trusted because he does what he says. As I mentioned earlier, though, the risen Jesus also gives us a vision of our future. Now, we're going to slightly shift gear here and start to think about what actually the resurrection means, the implications of the resurrection. You noticed in the passage, it's necessary for the Son of Man to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. Well, the women have got to the tomb Jesus is not there. What does it actually mean that Jesus rose from the dead? How does that actually work? Well, the New Testament is extremely clear. Jesus rose in bodily form. Luke goes on in these chapters to describe Jesus walking along the road with some disciples Jesus eating a piece of broiled fish in front of his disciples. Paul goes on to talk about Jesus appearing before 500 people. There's something very material about Jesus. He's there in bodily form. There is no doubt. And people see him and they know him. They say, there is that man, Jesus. He walks amongst us. Jesus is bodily resurrected. This is not a picture of annihilation. This is not a picture of there's nothing beyond now. This is not a picture of reincarnation. Jesus doesn't come back as something else. Jesus is not absorbed into the wider world like a drop in the ocean. Those are the kind of common views that we have these days around us. And just as an aside, if you subscribe to those views, death is not conquered. Death is no longer an enemy. Each of those views simply describe the way our mortal souls shuffle off this mortal coil. Our immortal souls souls shuffle off this mortal coil. I'll just describe something different. They don't talk about the defeat of death. They don't talk about someone continuing on as they are. Luke presents us with something very different. He says, Jesus is alive... Jesus rose from the dead, he defeats death, he's physically alive, he's a person. It's not an idea, it's not an argument, he's there. And he's come back from death. All those other thoughts are ideas, 
and concepts. No one has come back from them. Now, the fact that Jesus is physical and real, in many ways, is not that surprising. Way back in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God looks at his creation and he says everything is good. Everything is of the highest quality. If you're familiar with the story, the story unfolds and God subjects his creation to a curse because of the way we treat God and one another. And so subsequently, the world has been subject to death and decay. But actually, the material is good. It's to be appreciated. It's to be cherished. And Jesus coming back to life in bodily form is God's way of saying, I stand by my created order. I stand by all I have created. So what, you might ask? Well, the significance of Jesus' physical resurrection is that it's a picture of our resurrection. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that famous chapter where he describes what happens with the resurrection, with Jesus' resurrection and ours. He says, Christ is indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have been fallen asleep. Jesus' resurrection shows us a vision of our future. Because Jesus retains a body, we someday will be like him. We will be transformed, but we will tr remain in our bodies. Our future will be physical. It will be a bodily future. It's very common in some Christian circles to somehow pit the spiritual against the physical as if somehow the spiritual is more holy than the physical. But here we have a picture of the whole being, the whole person. And sometimes what we think of is redemption is about escaping from our bodies. And we have this idea that we'll be floating around on clouds with harps. And somehow eternity feels less substantial than our current existence on earth. And yet, what Jesus' resurrection tells us is that our bodies will be redeemed. They will be transformed. They will be glorified. Not that they will be dissolved or annihilated. Not somehow that they will be reincarnated. We can look forward to a bodily future. We will have material bodies complete and, I dare say, more human than the ones we're currently in. And that tells us all kinds of things about what God is doing. It means that God is really committed to us. The whole of us. Isn't that extraordinary? God not only creates us, but he's committed to the whole of us for eternity. And that, to me, brings tremendous comfort and a promise of great hope. 
1 Corinthians 15 ends with these words, The sting of death is sin. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. You see, this thought about who we're becoming in Christ is meant to shape our lives. This hope, this comfort, this amazing thing that God has done through Jesus on the cross is meant to influence everything that we do. The way we think about our bodies, the way we act, what we do with one another. Because Jesus has died for you and me and been physically resurrected. Joni Tata was a woman who was injured in an accident in 1967. She was left totally a quadriplegic, paralysed from the neck down, still alive. And this is what she's written in understanding this hope. I can scarcely believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body. Light, bright, clothed in righteousness, powerful, dazzling. Can you imagine the hope that this gives someone with spinal cord injuries like me? Or someone who has been brain injured? Or someone who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope that it gives someone who is a depressive, someone who has anxiety, someone who's scared. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, new hearts, new minds. Only the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ promises those things. And to hurting people, this is such incredible hope. It's an incredible hope. But we're faced with that question again, aren't we? The question that the women were faced with. Do we believe, do we really believe what Jesus said? We've remembered what he said, but do we really believe it? Tonight as we celebrate and we wonder at Jesus' resurrection, what I want to do is to invite you to entrust yourself to the one who has been faithful to us in Jesus' death and resurrection. The one who's spoken into this world, the one who has given us a hope of the future that is so real and so brilliant and so beautiful It's almost beyond imagination. That Jesus is interested in you now and wants to transform you now into his likeness. Can I invite you to entrust yourself to him? Amen.
for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.